Hi, it's Alex Langshire, and welcome to another episode of What I Wish I'd Known, the Google Partners podcast. You know, when it comes to digital, and in particular digital marketing, we've seen an explosion of two- and three-letter acronyms, AI, ML, VR, AR, DMP, CDP, oh my. But, you know, really, it's the first two of these, artificial intelligence and machine learning, that have caused volumes of words to be written, webinars to be had, and podcasts to be released. In my own reading, I'm now coming to believe the hype. These technologies, and coupled with voice recognition, I think will have a fundamental and transformative impact on too many facets of our lives to really get our minds around at present. One of my favorite blog sites is Wait But Why. And a while ago, they did a series of posts on AI and the coming super intelligence, quote unquote. The conclusion of the writer was really this. Um, strap yourselves in with a four-point harness. The ride is going to be wild. Uh, couple that with a recently released report by Dell Computing earlier this year, which uh, basically said that 85% of the jobs in 2030 have not yet been invented. And the driver in all of this, AI and ML. So, you know, what exactly is AI and how does it differ from ML? How will it affect marketing and, and what should we do to prepare for its impact on us? What are some concrete examples of its use? And does this mean that our jobs will disappear? And, you know, fundamentally, should we be concerned? Well, to answer these and other questions, I thought it'd be really interesting to invite a trend spotter who really is up on this issue and ask them the question, which is, if today is 10 years in the future, what would you want to tell yourself now about AI and ML? What would be the top five things that you would have wished that you'd had done in order to prepare of, to be aware of, and be able to benefit from this coming revolution? So I started to look through my network of people on who I could ask this question, and a name popped immediately up to the surface, and that is Jim Stern. So for those of you who don't know Jim, he's a writer, a blogger, an analytics and digital marketing guru. He's a conference convener and a trend spotter extraordinaire. Let me explain why. Jim sees beyond the horizon and his track record to me, in my mind at least, is nothing short of amazing. His first book was published on email marketing in 1994. I mean, 1994. He followed that up in 1998 with a book on web analytics. And I mean, 1998, that that was pre-Google and Yahoo was still building its index largely by hand. He then wrote about social media in 2005, one year after Facebook and one year before Twitter was even out. And um, he's just released his latest book, which is, you guessed it, on AI and ML. So given this really fabulous track record, I just can't think of anybody better place to share what we all would have wished we had known in 2017 about agencies and marketers can use AI and ML in marketing. Welcome to the Google Partners Podcast, Jim. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure, Jim. I've wanted to do this for a long time. You know, we go back a long way. So, but before we get into the podcast, Jim, maybe I've given you a bit of an introduction, but maybe you can share with our listeners something about yourself. Well, I guess the the right way to frame this is that I've been lucky enough to always been sort of right at the edge and looking over the edge. Um, my first job out of school was selling Apple IIEs out of a retail store in Santa Barbara. So I had to explain computers to people who, who only saw them on TV. I then worked for about 10 years selling business computers to companies that had never owned one before. In 93, when I saw Mosaic for the first time, I just 
said, wow, that's, you know, that is what's going to happen to marketing. I understood all about networking and I understood about distributed object communicating back and forth. The ability to put an interactive piece of information, piece of content online that anybody could see from anywhere was a huge shift. And so that that's what started me writing books and, and doing you know, keynote speeches. I got very frustrated because my whole point was, how do we make this stuff better? Now, this website, it's terrible. I want it to be better. I want it to be easy. I want it to know what I'm looking for. I want what I'm looking for to be right on top and click on that first. I want that button to be red and not blue. And nobody was doing what I told them. And I realized, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's not my opinion that matters. Maybe we can use analytics. And that was right around when the analytics tools, you know, web trends and website story and net genesis were all just starting to happen. And I could provide some insight on how to make use of those. Well, that ended up being uh, a book. I founded the eMetrics Summit. The audience from the eMetrics Summit created the Digital Analytics Association. Mm-hmm. And it was about eight years later that, oh, look, social media, this is different. This is new. Yep, better write another book. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I have been kind of waiting patiently for something else to come along. And Shazam, here's AI and, and machine learning. Okay, yep, time to do a deep dive and write another book. Well, Jim, great. So I'm glad that you did because I think it's a really interesting subject. And, you know, what we're trying to do today is what would be the top five strategically tactical lessons that you'd share with your 2017 Jim self about AI and ML and what agencies should be prepared to do now about that. And, and before we get into that subject, uh, maybe what I could ask you to do is just, you know, kind of go back to first principles and make sure that we're all on the same page about the difference between AI and ML. And then we get into the points. Is that cool? Very good. Um, right. So artificial intelligence is a catch-all phrase that has reached the very top of the Gartner hype cycle. It covers a lot of technologies, including natural language processing, listening to what I say, translating that into text and translating that into meaning, uh, computer vision. Uh, is this a cat or a rabbit or a raccoon? Um, self-driving cars, bots that will respond to you or, or combinations of you can talk to it. You know, um, And so if I use a certain name that starts with an A and has an X in it and people are listening to this podcast on speakers, a device in their home will light up. So I'm not going to say her name, but we're getting used to talking to our devices. They're understanding us and responding. That's artificial intelligence. Some of that is unique technology, but a great deal of it relies on machine learning. And machine learning is what marketers are going to be using. It's what marketers need to understand in order to continue doing our jobs. It's, it's like, gee, 30 years ago, we needed to learn what a computer was. And 20 years ago, we needed to learn what the internet was. And 10 years ago, we needed to learn what analytics was. Well, now this is another one. Fundamental shift, very important. And we need to be clear on what it's about. So the shortest way to describe it is instead of a program that executes exactly what you tell it, 
And instead of a mathematical model you might create in Excel, and instead of a predictive analytics statistical analysis that tries to project the future, this is a combination of all of that that looks at the available data, builds its own mathematical model, makes a recommendation, and then changes its mind based on the results. That's the machine learning part. So there's there's the nutshell. Great. That's a, a, a pretty clear distinction between the two, Jim. So with that as a backdrop, uh, maybe you can tell us what we should start to know now in order to be prepared for that coming fundamental revolution, which, by the way, I completely concur with you. And in fact, uh, it's a bit of a stealth revolution because I think it started some time ago. I mean, it's baked into so many things already. You already mentioned that machine that has an A and an X in it. Um, but there's many, many other examples of it already. But let's start off. What would be your first point? <laughs> um, the, the one thing that I will have wished I had done more yep. was study statistics. And, and I, you know, don't, don't turn off the podcast. I'm, I'm not going to try to explain statistics, but just a rudimentary understanding of, of what statistics is will help a great deal in taking advantage of these tools. I mean, just the underlying principles of math, you know, understanding what sampling is and, and why it's crucial to the U.S. census, understanding what statistical significance means, just having a passing knowledge of Linear regression, just just so you have a clue when you are talking to a data scientist about what that means. And it is also a bit of a mind shift and an important one to move from computers as being binary. They, they work or they don't. They give you an answer that is correct. Moving from that to embracing probability. There, there is no black and white. There, there are no absolutes. Everything is a grayscale. Everything is along a continuum. And machine learning is a way of programming the probabilities into figuring out recommendations or providing advice or driving a car. Yeah. Well, Jim, can I, I just want to interject here for a second. Uh, I understand this is your points and, and respect that, but... My, my question would be, you know, I don't need to know how to fix the engine of the car to drive the car. You know, I, I don't need to uh, understand some of the, the, the guts of the computer to be able to make use of a lot of the tools uh, that and the software that's available on it. And, and, and given the way that these things are being componentized, like I can go to, to Amazon and, and, and buy an algorithm for, for uh, face recognition. You, know, you, can, you can go and buy these things. Do you not think that the ability to understand what they can do and, and somewhat how they do it is, is less material than how I can I can assemble these blocks together? Because that might be a might be a, a big um, might be a, a big stair to climb if you're saying study statistics and, and become familiar with those underlying principles. Is it just putting it out there? Um, so I'm going to suggest that what you put forth is a binary mm -hmm. and everything is a continuum. All right. Um, is it important to study statistics and understand the underlying principles? Those are two different things. Underla understanding the underlying principles is very important, but it is not study. It's not go get a PhD. It's not memorize a textbook. It is 
understanding some basic concepts. Now, let's look at an automobile. I can drive it. You know, this thing turns it, this thing makes it go, this thing makes it stop. That's enough. Well, yeah, but what if a certain dashboard light goes on? Do you know what it means? If, if the oil temperature goes up, do you have an understanding for how dangerous that can be? If steam starts coming out from under the hood of the car, do you have a concept for, oh, I need to put more water in the radiator? That's basic. It's not mechanics. It's not understanding the transmission differential. It is, it's basics about how the thing works. Now, exactly like all of the technologies that we're talking about here, somebody needs to be smart enough to design it. Okay, that's that's an engineer. That's somebody who's studied this stuff a long time and has a lot of experience. Right. Somebody has to figure out how to build it. Ooh, that's a whole lot of engineering and knowledge. Um, but in order to drive it, you need two things that are uniquely human and, and very important. One is understanding the rules of the road and how to get from point A to point B without hitting somebody, uh, without you know, going to a four-way stop and, and going when you shouldn't. And the other is navigation, which is A, where do you want to go? And B, what would be the best route to get there? The technology is going to sit there and wait for you to decide those two things. And I don't care how advanced the technology is, you need to know what you're trying to accomplish. And then you need to choose, is it better to ride a bike, drive a car, take the bus? Okay, let's try your second point. This one, um, again, it, it applies today, is to read just a little bit of history. I don't, again, don't don't go and get an advanced historic history degree. Just pick up a book about the last 50 years of artificial intelligence, how it started, where it came from, what are the different philosophies of AI? You know, there's this split between we should build tools that can take over everything that humans do. We need to build a super intelligence versus we need to build tools that will help us do our jobs better, that will enhance us. And this whole thing sort of started in the space race the difference between an astronaut being a passenger or a pilot. And it's a, it's a fundamental engineering design question that you start with. So I'm going to recommend a book by John Markoff called Machines of Loving Grace. It's, it's a fairly straightforward read. It's, it's historical in that it's biographies and who was doing what, where, when, and why. And, and I'd say skim it. It's not a it's not a deep study. Mm-hmm. Just sort of understand how this came about. And are you, and, are you recommending that, Jim, because uh, it gives a sense of where things might go. And therefore, again, if I think about our, our agency listeners, um, to kind of help them contextualize what some opportunities might be, or or do you think that's still like so wide open? You know, to your initial point about six months is is a lifetime right now in AI. Yeah. It's wide open. Yeah. Um, the, the reason for the history is to give you a basis. So when you hear somebody say, I think the future looks like this, you've got something to rest that on instead of just take it at face value. The other reason that, that this book is valuable is it gives you a sense of the responsibility for what bias looks like, uh, cognitive bias from the human perspective, right. bias that is inherent in data, bias that gets folded into algorithms, which which brings us to a, a need to understand ethics around the technology, um, all the way from 
do you allow the machine to make a decision for you to privacy and and data management and data protection? So I, I think that kind of, you know, understanding statistics generally is good and understanding history lightly is valuable because we're we're heading into to territory unknown and it's and it's good to have that stuff just sort of as a baseline. Well, if I explore this idea about cognitive bias, I mean, if we're expecting machines to be making decisions, uh, I mean, we always make decisions, all humans make decisions, and there's cognitive bias in that. And of course, that's the whole field of behavioral economics. And mm-hmm. so uh, does this, in the case of this book, are you saying that that also helps us understand that even these machines are baking in some of that bias or are they are they bias-free? No, no. The bias is definitely being baked in from from three different areas. Um, one is uh, what is the goal of any given algorithm? You know, what what purpose are you putting it to? Uh, the other is how was the algorithm designed? Uh, but the big deal is what data is being used to uh, for it to chew on to make a decision. And the the classic example is. I want to make sure that uh, race and gender is not considered when calculating what insurance rates. Well, if you remove race and gender from the data set, it is still going to derive uh, inequality from other correlated data. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we've seen that too. So uh, what would you say would be our third point that we'd want to know? Third point is is more personal. It is um, stretch and grow. Uh, uh, put yourself, go to conferences, listen to podcasts, read books that are that make that are a little difficult, that are a little bit beyond you. And the reason for that is that with enough exposure, you grow uh, knowledge and you get comfortable with the language and you begin to see patterns. Um, when I first started writing this book, I only knew what I read in the press. And I had to go to the smartest people I could find and get them to dumb it down and explain it to me. And it took me several months before I was smart enough to ask decent questions. And once I started asking decent questions, the engagement improved hundredfold because the people I was talking to could skip over a whole bunch of introductory stuff. They knew how much I knew. So when I asked a really deep question, they could go right to the heart of it. Uh, Now, what would those have been? What would, what would have, what would have been the deep question that you might've asked? To go back to what we were just talking about, if there is bias in data, isn't there some way that we can build artificially intelligent way to counteract that? And so to recognize it and then counteract it. Yeah, to, to at least recognize it. And um, the, the, in when I first started asking those questions, the answers were, well, yes, but it's complicated. And later, the answers were, oh, yeah, we, we put in an adversarial layer in the middle of the deep learning network that does adversarial backpropagation and to look for bias. Hmm. Now... I had learned enough to know, to understand the answer well enough that I can now explain what that means in English, 
which is at a certain point in the calculation, you build a layer that says, can I derive race or gender from what you, what we've calculated so far? And if the answer is yes, it sends it back and says, no, 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 fix it, make it, make it change your mind, change your model so that I can no longer detect race. And that layer might get stuck there for cycle after cycle after cycle until finally it says, oh, I can no longer determine race. We can carry on with the calculations. You build that for bias. You build it for, well, <laughs> essentially for morality. Mm. You, you build in human values as adversarial layers to as a check and balance. So the corollary to that is that you, you wouldn't build those in, right? I mean, that, so you, you, what you're saying is that, do you believe that uh, that's not happening now? And if I'm a marketer, could I use that fact to really do some, some kind of interesting targeting? Or uh, do you think that's happening? Um, so a couple of, couple of answers there. One is um, it's not being done because the technology is so new still. The, um, when you listen to some of the podcasts of, of data scientists talking to data scientists, they will always refer back to a paper that they just read that was published three months ago. This stuff is happening so fast and it's so new um, that I just am trying to get my model to work at all, and I'm going to worry about building in an adversarial layer later. Thank you very much. Now we jump over a whole bunch of implementation issues all the way to can marketers take advantage of that or make use of it or run into trouble because they're not paying attention to it. Uh, yes, <laughs> we can do all of the above. <laughs> and, and are there any, I mean, if you go to these conferences, uh, imagine that, uh, there are now tools out there. Are there examples of tools that you think that point the direction of where AI in marketing is going? Yes. Um, so the first layer of tools is the fundamental, how do I create this stuff? And they're available from Microsoft and IBM and Google, Amazon. They're open source. Right. We're, we are experimenting. We are creating new stuff. And so the algorithms are becoming sort of commodities. If you find a really great way to do segmentation or sorting or anomaly detection, then you publish a paper and you share that with people. And what, what we've discovered is that when data scientists take multiple types of models and multiple types of algorithms and try to solve the same problem with them, not only do we find out which one can do it better, faster, cheaper, but we also have discovered that it's the combination of models, it's the, the combination of results of the models that give us the best answer. It is, it's just like humans and diversity. Diversity is always better because you have multiple angles to look at the same problem. So that's, that's the bottom layer. At the very top layer, we have the tools that we've already been using. Um, you know, if you use AdWords, you've been using machine language or machine learning. That's that's that what it's built on. Um, you know, your your dollars spent with Google get better and better because it learns more and more about your the target that you're looking for. Um, if you're using Salesforce.com, they have embedded something called Einstein, which will provide advice for you. We're seeing Adobe has something they're calling Sensei which is not just part of Adobe Analytics. It's part of 
of all Adobe tools, it will help you use Photoshop better. We see IBM and Watson. So these high level, yes, you're already using it. There are, there are bits filled in, uh, pieces of technology included that if you want to take advantage of them, they are there. Uh, and then of course, it's a matter of, of, do you trust them? And building trust is standard part of change management. We'll all have to do that. That's fine. And then in between, uh, in between the do it yourself, become a data scientist in your spare time, or click on this button in the tool you're already using, are the startup world. And startups, this is one of the most frothy venture capitalist yeah. times of the world at the moment. If it says AI, we're throwing money at it. And there's some very narrow functionality tools that are designed to solve a specific problem. So our good friend Dennis Mortensen yeah. with, with X.AI has built a large company and raised... $30 million to solve the problem of scheduling a meeting yeah. through email. Turns out to be really tough because the hardest part is not the scheduling. It's the communicating with humans. That's a serious challenge. So very narrow use case that is providing something that's, that's functionally very valuable to almost everybody, all the way up to a platform like, there's one called Albert. And Albert is going to look at all of your customers and all of your sales and then go out into the world and find lookalikes and recommend market segments you haven't considered and recommend product areas that you might consider quite successfully. So Jim, uh, basically what I hear you saying, it's already here. It is, it is already here sort of in stealth mode, but like uh, computers in the eighties and websites in the nineties, uh, if you take advantage of it now, you will gain a competitive advantage. Um, and, and because it's here and because confidence is high that this stuff is really valuable and will work, that brings me to my point number four, which is uh, that you should, you should be the enthusiast in your organization, in your agency, in front of your clients. You, you should be the ones who say, let's explore this, let's experiment um, you should be the one going to meetups or or hosting the lunch and learns and the meetups for your own company and then encourage others to participate. Find a couple of point solution tools and play with them. And, and oh, by the way, I mean, if you really want to take the bull by the horns, be the one who goes to everybody in the company that's making this happen and bring them together and start having conversations about building a machine learning center of excellence in the company so you can share best practices and you can learn from each other. You know, Jim, and with a lot of these things, there's kind of like the aha moment. What's the epiphanic aha moment? Maybe I'll just share with you uh, my aha moment. I think it was also a, a wider one for the community. Maybe you can expand on a little bit. You probably know about DeepMind, Google's now uh, DeepMind product, uh, which went up against the world's best uh, Go player. And I think it was at the beginning of yes. last year. And in that game, there's, I think they call it Move 37. And it's when, and fun fact for our listeners, there are more permutations <laughs> in Go than there are atoms in the universe. <laughs> which, which, right. Which is exactly. somewhat crazy. But having said that, it was a 37th move where AlphaGo, I believe, placed its piece on the board in such a way that everybody just scratched their head and said, 
what the hell is that? I mean, it was just so outside the norm. And yep. and if, eventually, you know, when they deconstructed the game afterwards, that was the pivotal moment. I mean, it was just so outside the norm and a pivotal moment and clearly represented a step change in the way that, you know, a human was interacting with a machine and the machine was playing the game. It was beyond what the human was doing at that point. So that was that was a mm-hmm. big wake up call for everybody. Maybe you can share a little bit more about that story. But that was the one for me that said, OK, this this is this is not science fiction. Uh, these capabilities are actually here. It, it's probably the awkward teenage years of it. You know, it's still, it still yeah. looks a bit clunky and it's like taking home a sewing machine sized uh, a computer, uh, which now fits in the palm of your hand in the form of a phone, but you know, it's coming. Yeah. I don't remember the aha moment because it all gets mixed in with Hollywood and science fiction for me, it was was when I finally understood how it worked. You, as a marketing person, sit in a room and go, okay, we're trying to reach this persona. It's the soccer mom would, you know, at this age group with this many kids, and she does yoga, and she dot, 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 and what will appeal to her? And you brainstorm. And now you bring in this machine that looks at all of your data and says, we should send this message to this kind of person at this time. And you think about that and go, oh, yeah, that's logical. That makes sense. But actually, it's not logical at all. It's mathematical. And there's a big difference. There was a, there was a great story about a bank that turned over all of their data about their customers. And the machine said, the customers who fill out their forms that, use, that hand print in the forms and use upper and lower case are better credit risks than people who use all caps. And people who are left-handed, furthermore, are even more trustworthy, to which any logical person goes, oh, come on. Because it's not, it's not based on logic. It's just based on the math. The math says these kinds of people are going to reach the goal that you're after better than anybody else. Some of it's not logical. And now here's the dangerous part. Another example was a study of pneumonia patients in a hospital and they were looking for the machine to help them with triage and the machine said oh it turns out that if the patient has a history of asthma uh they're going to heal the fastest you can just sit them in the corner get to them later just send them home they'll be fine doctors and nurses said you're out of your mind no 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 that's crazy people who have a, a history of asthma and they come in with pneumonia, you take them directly to the intensive care unit. Do not pass go. Don't fill out paperwork. And that's why they heal faster, because they get extra care. So that was one piece of information the machine didn't have. And this is where, as a marketer, your job is to figure out what data should be considered, what goal you wanted to achieve, and then, you know, the smell test. Does this seem like a decent answer? You just have to give up that, that human desire to understand why it reached that decision. So here's the data you want it to work with. Here is the goal you want it to, we want to increase conversion or we want to increase customer lifetime value. And here's the answer it gave. Your job is to test that answer and if it proves true, run with it. And if it doesn't, figure out what's wrong with your data or what's wrong with the algorithm and then move forward from there. Got it. Uh, Jim, what would be the last thing that you would share uh, about what we should know? 
it's all about finding your comfort level. Um, in one of the podcasts, I my favorite podcast, so there's a shout out to something called Twimmel, This Week in Machine Learning, T-W-I-M-L. Twimmel is a guy who is a data scientist interviewing other data scientists. And at one point, he asks a question that the guy can't quite explain in a way that even a data scientist can understand. And he says, you know, it's just sort of like turtles all the way down. And they had a good laugh at that because this stuff goes deep. And there's a point at which we are building systems we don't understand. Now, if you are a mathematics fanatic, dive in headfirst, you're going to love this stuff. If you are at the far opposite end, a marketing practitioner, figure out whether or not these tools are useful. Experiment with them. But anywhere in between, is we need people to dive in, understand more, help move the industry forward. So if you're comfortable with statistics, do that. If you're comfortable with PhD level mathematical philosophy, we need you. If you are more interested in the ethical side, we desperately need help there. If you are just a practitioner who wants to make this stuff work, we need your case studies to show everybody else that this and, is and good stuff. So, and if I'm starting out and I'm being asked to apply this today, what would you say? Pick a very specific task that you want to automate because that's, that's basically what we're talking about. I mean, imagine the, the best place to start is if you were to hire an intern tomorrow, what job would you give them? Um, you know, a spreadsheet can add and subtract and multiply and divide. So you wouldn't waste their time with that. But uh, it takes a real sophisticated, experienced marketing person to come up with a whole marketing plan. If I had a team of interns who were smart and willing to work for pizza, what tasks would I give them to do? And these are cognitive tasks. They don't require years of experience, but they require a human. Take one of those, you know, lots of data, uh, lots of feedback, and a low level of risk, and give it to the machine. Schedule a meeting for me, or, uh, or do uh, inbound email routing. Is this, is this email sales, or is it customer service? Um, figuring out, well, programmatic advertising is all about machine learning. So that, you know, putting the right message in front of the right person at the right time. Find a low level, uh, highly, uh, lots of data and lots of small decisions that need to be made and play with it and just give that to the machine and test it and see if that works. I'll bet you'll be able to find a startup out there that's trying to solve that problem. Um, start start playing with chatbots. Create a chatbot for your website or for your clients. It It's not as easy as it sounds, but you learn so much along the way that's very valuable. Jim, you know, thank you so much for this. It's been really interesting and a good look down the road of things that we need to be mindful of today. You know, building on that last point that you said, you know, go and build a chatbot or go and do this or... You know the the question I would have is if I'm a if I'm an agency and I want to do that. You mentioned earlier on that some of these tools are open sourced. Is there a place or a resource area that you would recommend that somebody could go to to start that journey? Is there something that you've kind of path found that you feel would be worthwhile for somebody else to take a look at? 
Well, there's this book that I've written. <laughs> of course. Um, uh, frankly, frankly, there is just so much stuff out there and it's happening really fast. But it is such a deep subject. It's going back to the automobile. Do you want to drive a Formula One car around a track way too fast? Do you want to take a dune buggy out on the beach or do you just want to drive into town for a restaurant? There's so much to learn and so many different ways to go about it. It is, it's just exciting. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you. So, uh, and, but that book is Artificial Intelligence for Marketing Practical Applications. And I think it's the practical applications part that it will be of a lot of interest to our listeners. So they could probably find that on, imagine, Amazon. Excellent imagination. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you unpacking this a little bit more for us. If people want to reach you, they would do that how? Um, well, AI4Marketing.com. Um, also, uh, Jim Stern in Google sends, tends to find me pretty good. Excellent. So thank you again, Jim. And as always, yeah, I really appreciated this time with you. It's such a treat to get to interview you and, um, and always learn something new. Also, gratitude to our listeners. Want to let you know that we have a now pretty good back catalog, which you can listen to on uh, Google Play events. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud now. So lots of stuff there. Any questions or any comments or any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to get them. And please uh, join us for our next podcast when I'll ask our guests about the top five things that they wish they'd known.